Good evening. We are thankful that you're here, and if you have your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth. We're glad for the good attendance tonight. We had a, certainly had a, a good crowd this morning. Bill and I might have overshot it by just a few hundred, but that's all right, just a little bit. Um, we were thankful for the good crowd we had this morning, several visitors in our midst, and we're thankful that you've chosen to be back this evening. And we want to encourage ourselves with some study together this evening as we will begin here in just a moment. Uh, I mentioned to you even this morning, I think, and last week that uh, uh, due to several circumstances, including our family being gone next Sunday to polish in the pulpit, uh, and our singing with North Hamilton at the end of the month. We just only had a couple of Sunday nights for sermons, so we had to fit in our uh, Book of the Month Club that we're looking at tonight, as well as our One Word series that we've been going through. So it feels like we've had several of those on top of each other, and we have, um, but that's all right. You'll, uh, we'll pick back up again then next month looking at the series as we've been working through uh, the different books of the Bible. And I hope that this has been encouraging to you somewhat. Uh, I know that if you're like me and, and you've heard about these books most of your life, then sometimes it's, uh, uh, you may think there's nothing new, but at the same time, hopefully we can find a few application to make to our lives and maybe even some new information or just something to think about a little differently along the way. And so tonight we are up to the book of Ruth and we're going to take a look as we usually do at a, a brief outline or some of the contents, uh, a few purposes maybe for the book, and then we want to make some application tonight as we finish together. If you want to take a, an outline of the book of Ruth, one of the easiest ways to do it simply is just by chapter. Uh, if you're like me, I know everyone's Bible is a little different and the, the printing is a little different. Uh, mine is just on three pages, three full pages, and all four chapters fit sort of simply into that. And so when you think about four chapters, uh, it's really easy just to kind of break down the book in that fashion. When we come to chapter one, if you remember, as you've heard this story possibly through your life, we meet the family of Naomi, including her husband, Elimelech. And because of famine, they have left Bethlehem for Moab uh, here at the beginning of the book. Uh, there's tragedy that strikes, if you will, in the sense that Elimelech dies. Not only after her husband, Elimelech, dies, but then she loses her two sons, Malon and Chilion. Now what's interesting is, and, and something that I learned about this, as you think about um, some, some different things that sometimes come from the Bible that we may not know for sure, but sometimes is conjecture, it's actually the Jewish Talmud um, that by tradition records for us when they move to Moab, leave Bethlehem and move to Moab, it tells us there in the beginning that Naomi's sons, uh, Malon and Chilion, take for themselves uh, Moabitess women or Moabitess wives. And the Jewish Talmud actually records, and again, this is not scripture by inspiration, but the Jewish Talmud records that Malon and Chilion had their lives shortened because they married Moabite wives. Now, that's kind of interesting to consider. Again, there's nothing uh, by inspiration of the Holy uh, Scripture in the book of Ruth that confirms that. But we know that God did not intend for his people, for the children of Israel, to intermarry. We see that in numerous places, that warning, that caution to make sure and not intermarry among the people. Because what happens, of course, is what happens to us. 
When we find ourselves in the world and acting like the world, then we become somewhat corrupted like the world. And so as they leave Bethlehem and move to Moab because of the famine, uh, we see that she loses, Naomi loses her husband. And then again, for whatever reason, we may not be for sure, but both of her sons die, which leaves her with her uh, daughters-in-law. Now, one thing that is interesting is it's not good that these men, that her sons would have taken wives from the Moab region because they were not the children of, of God. They did not follow after the one true God. But what's interesting from this? Well, you know what's interesting. Ruth converts. Now, I would not recommend to someone uh, that they would not marry someone or that they would marry someone who is not a Christian. God certainly did not tell the children of Israel that you need to go find anybody that you want. He told them not to intermingle, to intermarry among the people. But even out of this, and if what's true is true that her son's lives may have been shortened, even out of that, we see some good news in the sense that Ruth does become converted. So they leave Bethlehem and go to Moab, and then they're going to be returning back to Bethlehem again. We come to chapter 2, and Ruth is found harvesting barley in Boaz's field. They return to Bethlehem. This is uh, Ruth returning with Naomi, and Ruth is gleaning from Boaz's field. Now, again, we know from the Jewish law that they were not to go back over the field. If the men were working, if they were working the field, as they collected the barley, as they collected the grain, they were told not to go back over where they had already passed through. They were also told to leave the corners of the field alone. And the reason for that is so that the poor could come in through after those who were working the field had worked the field. The poor could come through and they could take some grain or some barley from what was left behind, what may have been dropped on the ground or the corners. And this, of course, was God's way of providing for the poor. This was one of the ways that he would do that, that those things would be left so that they could take some grain for themselves. Naomi and Ruth are certainly in that category uh, we're going to talk about it in just a moment, but think back to what we know of the Old Testament times. Someone, a woman who was without a male presence would have been considered poor. She had no one to step up for her or to take care of her. And so Ruth and Naomi certainly fall into this category. But of course, what we find in chapter 2 is that Boaz takes a liking to Ruth. And not just do they go and take from what was dropped on the ground or the corners, but Boaz instructs his workers to actually leave some behind for Ruth. We come to chapter 3 and Boaz and Ruth are going to be betrothed together. The idea here as well that uh, Boaz is a near kinsman. If you've got your notes, this is not in your notes, but you might jot down to the side. Deuteronomy chapter 25. Deuteronomy chapter 25 in verses 5 through 10. Deuteronomy 25 verses 5 through through 10. Now this is where you find this idea of a near kinsman, that again, if a woman is left without a male uh, to take care of her, that there are near kinsmen who can redeem her and help take care of her. And so Boaz recognizes or comes to the knowledge that he is a near kinsman of Ruth. And you read about this in chapter 3, and he is going to redeem her. We'll come back to that thought in just a few moments. Uh, but we come to chapter 4. And there's actually the realization, I didn't put it on the screen, but before they become married, there's the realization uh, that there is a nearer kinsman. There is a relative who is closer to Ruth than Boaz. Uh, and this 
this nearer kinsman, if I can say it properly, this nearer kinsman has to decide to not take her. Uh, he is willing to take the things that belong to her, maybe, uh, some of the property that would go along with this. But when he recognizes that there's actually a wife involved in this deal, uh, he says, well, maybe not. Which, of course, leads to one of uh, the more interesting passages to me in the Old Testament. If you're following along in your Bible, uh, Ruth chapter 4 and verse number 7, perhaps you recall this part of the story. Uh, but as they are making this connection and sort of this exchange, in verse number 7, the Bible says, now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redemption and exchanging to confirm anything one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other and this was a confirmation in Israel now there's all kinds of smelly feet jokes here all kinds of things we could say sandals we're glad we don't do this today all kinds of things we can insert here but as I've shared with you before in previous lessons you know the the humor that we can sometimes find from the Bible uh, this is not meant to be humorous but it is kind of interesting for us to think about that one would just take off his sandal and that would be uh, the bill of goods there the exchange that takes place but it is mentioned here um, in verses 7 and actually in verse 8 that the close relative said to Boaz buy it for yourself so he took off his sandal but after the redeeming is done and there is this exchange and the near nearer kinsman says no I'll pass then Boaz and Ruth are married and they have a son Obed and we're going to come back to the genealogy here in just a few moments uh, in connection with that let's talk about a few purposes from the book of Ruth one is to trace the lineage of King David. To trace the lineage of King David. We're going to talk about it again in just a moment in connection with the Messiah. But if you have your Bibles there and you're looking in Ruth chapter 4 uh, in verse number 17. And there is a son born to Naomi and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse who is the father of David. Now this is what we might call a historical a historical purpose, or even in, in the context and the idea, an immediate purpose. James Burton Kaufman in his commentary, and we've got some of the Kaufman commentaries, I believe, in our library, or you can find them, but James Burton Kaufman in his commentary says that this is the purpose for the book of Ruth. I don't know that I'm willing to go so far as to say that that's the only reason that Ruth is in our Bible is so that we can trace the lineage of King David. But it certainly is maybe a purpose, a historical or immediate purpose, so that we can continue to trace this lineage. A secondary purpose might be to tell a wonderful love story. To tell a wonderful love story. And again, this would be a historical or an immediate purpose. Uh, type of purpose but to tell the story of love that conquers dire circumstances think about it again as we said a few moments ago Naomi has Ruth but who does Ruth have well Ruth doesn't have anybody through the part of this story and so these really are dire circumstances Again, in the time of the children of Israel, the idea that the male would provide is of the utmost importance. And a woman who is left without that, including with a daughter-in-law who is sort of tagged along to her, uh, is going to be left without anything. So Naomi has Ruth, and Ruth doesn't have anyone. This is hard times for women. And so love conquers here. And love is going to conquer as we read this story of Ruth and Boaz. A third purpose, again in a historical context, might be to contrast the darkness of the book of Judges. Uh, this is kind of connection in the love story, but when we think about what we talked about just, is that two weeks ago, three weeks ago maybe, on Sunday nights we talked about the book of Judges, it ain't pretty. 
It ain't pretty in the book of Judges. Remember the cycle that we talked about of the children of Israel turning away from God, having to cry out to Him and come back to Him. Time and time again, the, the book of Judges may be what we might even call the Dark Ages, if you will. We think about it in context of world history, but, but a dark, very dark period for the children of Israel. And so the book of Ruth actually takes place during the period of the Judges. If you're following along, Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. There's probably, as you can imagine, lots of debate among where exactly Ruth fits in. Some people have said in chapters 12 and 13 of the book of Judges, it's really, uh, it doesn't really matter for our study tonight. But this is when Ruth is taking place. So even amongst all the darkness, even amongst all the sinning, Remember, if you're following there and you're in Ruth chapter 1, go back to the very end of the book of Judges. What did we say about the people? Judges chapter 21 and verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Have you ever considered before that even after that darkness, here comes the story of Ruth? I mean, people have spent millions upon billions of dollars in Hollywood trying to find the right love story. Trying to find the right way to say it. And here in God's word, we've got this dark period of judges followed by this great love story of Ruth and Boaz. And there is a historical uh, context. There is a light. By the way, when we want to make application to our world today, what do we do when we flip on the news and we look around us and we say, this world is full of sin. There's not a single person in this world that's trying to do what's right. We really could say that about the time of judges. But even in the time of Judges, there was a light. There was some good news. Not every single person is out to do bad. And we can learn that here from the book of Ruth. What about an eternal purpose? I mean, you know, the idea that we can trace the lineage, the idea of all those things is good. Uh, but what about an eternal purpose? That's really what we're after, especially as we think about the Old Testament. Well, one would be to trace the lineage of the Messiah. Uh, we, that's in conjunction with tracing the lineage of King David. But were you with us a couple of weeks ago as we talked about the birth of Christ? Do you remember the lesson we had on Matthew? We made special emphasis to make the point that Matthew is drawing that line down through the time. And he's going to connect Jesus coming back through King David, who, by the way, goes back through Jesse, who goes back through Obed, who goes back through Ruth. And so it is important to think about the lineage of, uh, of the Messiah and how important that is in the whole uh, sort of, you know, going down through the Bible and the timeline of the Bible. A second one in the eternal sense might be that God cares for Gentiles, that God cares not only just for Gentiles, but for all of humanity. Ruth was what we would call a Gentile. She was not uh, an Israelite. Uh, she was a Moabitess. She was a Moabite woman. But to note here that God did not forget the Gentiles. They were not forgotten by God. And this is important for us because what are we? We're Gentiles. We're not Jews. We're Gentiles. So we can take heart to think that God has not forgotten about the Gentiles. You know, in the Old Testament, it's easy for some, sometimes for people to point the finger at God and the, the killing that would go on, the things that would happen. And they say, well, God doesn't care. God didn't care about the Gentiles. We read all this about the children of Israel, but God didn't care about the Gentiles. It's not true. And Ruth is kind of a story that helps us recognize that. It is true that the Old Testament focuses on, focuses on the children of Israel. Why is that? Well, it's because God was bringing a Savior through them. 
He's tracing all this, just as we said a couple of weeks ago, so that through Matthew we can see that the Christ child was coming, the promised Messiah. But these children of Israel, they were prone to mistakes. Let's go back to the book of Judges. They weren't perfect people, but God did care for the Gentiles. He did care for humanity, and that's important for us to learn even from the book of Ruth. Let's talk for just a moment about Christ. Jesus Christ in the book of Ruth. This is something that I've not done a lot in connection with this series. When it comes to looking at Judges and some of the other books, Deuteronomy, those kinds of things, we've not always taken time to look at Christ in these books. We've, we've talked a lot about the Old Testament this year, and we talked about Exodus and things. Uh, but when we think about Christ in the Old Testament and Christ in Ruth, we see it Excuse me, went too far there. We see it in a couple of ways. One is Boaz is a type of a redeemer. If you're following along, turn to Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4. When we think about Christ and we think about types and anti-types in the Old Testament and the New Testament, Boaz is a type of redeemer. Now, note, he is not a spiritual redeemer. He's not a spiritual redeemer as Jesus is, but he is a type of redeemer. You see there in Ruth chapter 4, in verse number 4, they talk about the buying back and the redeeming. You see it as well in verse number 6 as he is having this interaction with the nearer kinsman. And even in verse number 10, as it is going to take place there, they talk about redeeming, they talk about buying back, and all of these things talk about purchasing. Purchasing, Maybe even in verse number 10, depending on the, the Bible that you're looking at, the version that you're looking at, you see this idea of purchasing. What does that mean? It means redeeming. Boaz was a type of redeemer. We began to see this with Boaz and, and looking back that he was a type of redeemer as he was going to do that just as Christ was a redeemer. In connection with that, Ruth is a type of Gentiles, if you will. Um, if you've got your Bible and you're following along, you might look over to Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 13. It is in the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, that Paul talks about the Gentiles being made one. He says there that they were afar off in verse number 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. They were brought near by what Christ was willing to do. These strangers who were afar off, who, by the way, even had no hope, who, by the way, us as Gentiles have no hope unless we are in Christ, unless Christ comes and sheds his blood as he did. Ruth is a type of us, if you will, a type of Gentiles. And so we can look back at Ruth and see this connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament to take it a step further. Ruth was joined by marriage to Boaz, even as Jesus' bride, the church, is joined to him by marriage. So, you know, I maybe wish I could go back and we could have looked at this in a few of the other books, but there's lots of things, other books, even in our library, you could look at to study this type of thinking. Uh, but there is a connection here. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 in verse number 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 2, Paul talks about, he says, I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And so this connection, this idea of marriage, even with Ruth and Boaz and even with Jesus and his church, we see in the Old Testament a connection here, a pointing forward, a type or anti-type. If you've ever done that type of study in the Bible, it can be encouraging. 
Let's talk about a few key verses. If you're following along there in the book of Ruth, you'll recognize a few of these. The first one is the main one. If you know the book of Ruth, you know Ruth 1, 16 through 18. Our young people, uh, when we were at Dunlap a couple of years ago, studied the book of Ruth in connection with Lads to Leaders, and this was part of the theme. This is something that the kids could really latch on to and remember. As Ruth says to Naomi, Entreat me not to leave you, or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. And then in verse 18, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. This, this connection, and don't forget, if you may remember the story, that Orpah, the other daughter-in-law, decides to leave. And, and Naomi says, by all means, you can go. And she does. She decides to leave. But Ruth stays with her and makes such a powerful statement here about being with her, about being connected to her and staying with her, even though these things have happened. Ruth chapter 3 and verses 11 through 12. Ruth 3, 11 through 12. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you request for all the people of my town to know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. As Boaz is talking here to Ruth about being a redeemer, letting people know that she is a worthy woman. He is talking about this idea here, and we've already touched on that just a little bit, but it is important to the story because Boaz has the opportunity to do just that. And then Ruth chapter 4 in verse number 17, we've already touched on it once, but as Obed is born, we make the connection that they called his name Obed, and he is the father of Jesse and the father of David. I know it's hard sometimes to read those, that lineage, those lineages in the Old Testament. This is not a long one here, although it goes down there further from that. But when you think about that and the powerful way in which it's listed and the importance that it should hold in our lives as we think about God by inspiration of the Holy Spirit recording these things for us. A few practical lessons and then the lesson tonight will be yours. Number one, widows can have a powerful influence for good. Widows can have a powerful influence for good. It is in Ruth chapter 1 and verses 11 and 12 there that Naomi says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons. Don't forget here that Ruth is not only saying that she is not going to have a husband, but she even says, if I were and I were to have children, by the time those children came along, you would not be able to marry them. We know that widows can have a powerful influence. In the New Testament, we get an example in the book of Acts chapter 9. If you recall in Acts 9, 36 through 43, we read of Dorcas passing away. Dorcas or Tab Tabitha, as she is called there. It is not told to us for sure that she was a widow. It is in verse number 39 that as Peter comes to the house, as they are mourning the death of Dorcas and they are looking at the things that she did, we read in verse 36 that she was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. And so they call for Peter as they are mourning for her. 
And it is told to us in verse number 39 that as he comes, that all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. It doesn't tell us exactly that she was a widow. It might be possible to think that was true. If she is interacting with these other widows and they are mourning her loss, that it's possible that she was. But regardless, we see this interaction between a group of widows and this woman who may have possibly been a part of them. But I don't have to tell you this. This is an obvious point, even though we added it into our outline for you to note. But we know that widows can have a powerful influence for good. This congregation is... Uh, filled with those who are able to continue on, who are in, able to encourage others, um, even as we take opportunity to try to honor them, to do things for them. Uh, they make a profound impact upon us. There are many other passages in the New Testament that we could look at to remind ourselves of this. But when we think about Ruth and we think about Naomi, they didn't just stop. They didn't just stop living. We're going to talk in just a moment about the bad circumstances that they felt. But we know that those who, who have a loss in their life, whether they remarry or choose to stay a widow or a widower, we can take encouragement from them. And we can certainly learn that here in this book as well. Number two, this is not in your outline, but a good reputation is of great value. We just read Ruth chapter 3 and verse 11. As Boaz says, I will tell people of the worthy woman that you are. I will tell people of the virtuous woman that you are. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 5, Paul says, Let your gentleness be known to all men. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Uh, the writer of Proverbs, the wise man, says it as well in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse number 1. Proverbs 22, 1, that a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. It doesn't take much to lose that, does it? Think about people that you know in the community, those that you might have respected and you hear one thing and you begin to kind of question the person that they are, whether it's a person in the community or a friend or a person that you know. A good reputation is of great value. We talked about this even before as we talked about Saul. Uh, a couple of, I guess that was last Sunday night, wasn't it, with Saul and his need for forgiveness. Saul was not able to go and talk to the brethren when he first becomes converted because of his reputation. Not a good reputation, but they see him coming and they know who he is and they're afraid. Sometimes our reputation, as we say, precedes us. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Ruth and Naomi were known, or at least Naomi certainly was known as she returns back to Bethlehem for who she was. And Boaz speaks of Ruth's reputation and how virtuous and worthy that she was. She was for what she was willing to do. She was for sticking close to her mother-in-law for taking care of her and doing those things. Our reputation does a lot for us. It opens doors. Even as we talked about doors this morning and the idea that we have opportunities, those are sometimes open when you are a good person, when you have a good reputation. I was talking with someone even this afternoon there at lunch, and I said, you know, I, I, when I began working for the steel company I did, you know, I said, I, I'd never really worked before. You know, I not worked hard like that. The only thing I had was to go in and make myself a good reputation. They didn't know me from anybody when I first began working at the steel company. They didn't know who I was, if I was a good worker or not. But every day I show up and I try to do the best I can to do what you told me to do. And you, you build that reputation. It's important and it is of great value, especially as we make the connection to the future and as we make connection with the opportunity to maybe teach someone the gospel. Third and finally this evening, we learn from the book of Ruth that bad circumstances 
Do not destroy the resilient people of God. If you're following along, if you've got your Bible, look at Ruth 1, 20 and 21. Bad circumstances do not destroy the resilient people of God. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse number 20, as Ruth is returning to Bethlehem, they come to her. Excuse me, as Naomi is returning to Bethlehem, uh, they come to her and they say, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara or Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Verse number 21. Almost can bring tears to your eyes just to read it. To think about the way that she was feeling. She says, I went out full. And the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me. And the Almighty has afflicted me. What do we do today or what do we say? We shake our fist at God. We ask him why. Why did you do this to me? Why do you cause bad things to happen to good people? I'm trying to serve you and yet these bad circumstances come my way. They do, but they don't have to destroy us. You recall in James, this is one of my favorite passages as a young Christian, as a young man growing up. James chapter 1 and verses 2 through 4. James gives the encouragement that not only do we not let it destroy us, but we're supposed to be excited about it. We're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to count it as joy. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or perseverance or endurance. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing, that you may be mature. A couple of weeks ago at the Greens Lake Road Youth Day, we talked about our spiritual maturity and how we have to grow. It's not something that we get a choice in. My father-in-law even says, and I said it that day, but, but there will be no spiritual babies in heaven. It's not possible. You can't get to heaven and still be a baby in your spiritual walk. You've got to mature. And there are numerous passages that point that out. James here says we mature because of the bad things that happen to us. But God, it's painful. I don't like it. I don't want to lose a loved one. I don't want to lose my spouse. I don't want to go through these trials and temptations and tribulations. Yeah, but it produces patience. Do you want to be mature? Do you want to have endurance and patience? You get it by the bad circumstances that you go through. You may be like Naomi. You may want to shake your fist at God and say, why do you let these bad things happen to me? I was full. I was good. But the Lord has made me empty. I don't know if it's exactly fair to say it that way, but sometimes we feel that way but even as we make the point here in this practical lesson can't destroy us if we would be resilient if we'd be people of God faithful to him it will not it should not destroy us we will grow and we will mature and we will be on the path to heaven the book of Ruth provides a lot of interesting thoughts for us hopefully some encouragement for you even this evening and as we conclude our thoughts we ask for you to consider your life maybe not in light of the book of Ruth necessarily but maybe in light of the practical applications that we've made even this evening. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a child of God. You don't understand what that feeling is like to know that you've been redeemed, as we sometimes sing, that you've had your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. We'll be singing in a moment to encourage you to make that great change, to make that great commitment. Maybe you've done that, but you've wandered away. Uh, You don't feel redeemed anymore. There's sin in your life that's separating you from God. It's all right. Christ did die. Christ did shed his blood. God did make a second law of pardon in the sense that we don't have to be baptized time and time again, but that we can repent of our sins and pray to God for forgiveness, and he is faithful to do just that, that we can again walk in the light as he is in the light. The point is, is you can leave tonight feeling not empty, 
but full because your life is right with God. Maybe you need that by making a change. And we'll be singing to encourage you as we stand together and as we sing.